Hi, this is Scott Roberts of the Dexter Podcast, and you're listening to the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network. Two Guys Talking is an internet radio show providing you with entertainment, a sharing of viewpoints, and fun. Join us as we venture into the world of entertainment and discuss a variety of topics, from television shows, DVDs, feature films, and more. This week, Two Guys Talking. Thor, directed by Kenneth Branagh. What do you get when you add in a dude with long, blonde hair, silvery gauntlets, a series of quilt pads on his shoulders, a flowing red cape, muscles aplenty, and a hammer so large that you could tenderize the state of Texas. You get one of the many comic book movies showcased inside of the summer of 2011. Thor, directed by Kenneth Branagh. Featuring a gargantuan and talented cast, featured here in Perspective Review by the Two Guys Talking Podcast. The question arises quickly, just like Thor's temper. Were you floored after being Thored? We'll find out today as we provide you the perspective review of Thor 2011 here on the Two Guys Talking Podcast. Greetings, everybody. I'm Mike Wilkerson, one of your hosts. And I'm Kip Lewis, the other host. And I'm so happy to have you here, mostly because, for those that have no idea, I am not a Thor fan. I'm a big comic book fan, but I think I've picked up maybe a couple of comic books in regard to Thor ever in my life. And so I'm really glad to have you here. Yeah, actually, Thor... I've enjoyed Thor, liked him since, I guess, back to 76, because wow. one of the comic that actually got me started into you know, collecting comic books was mm-hmm. an issue of The Avengers, mm-hmm. and the last panel has Thor showing up to save the day. Yeah. And I, I was super stoked when I heard about this movie, mostly because this is one of the comic book properties that you have no idea how they're... How are they going to touch on all of these fantastical things that mix between uh, outright comic book heroes and villains and fantasy heroes and villains and science fiction topics and thought and weave it all together to showcase it to somebody so much so that it's going to be something that's a, a mainstream property? And what I we can definitely say before they're even the reviews over is what a success. Oh yeah. Now this definitely. has been one of the juggernaut, literally juggernaut films of 2011. Not only inside the theaters, but after it reached DVD and Blu-ray, it, it is just knocking down doors everywhere, money-wise. And that's why I'm really glad to have you in-house to review it here on the Two Guys Talking podcast. The first thing we're going to talk about, of course, is. Ah! Hi. Now the internet has been a buzz. Since I was writing over at ScreenRant.com about this film, whether it was the costume, whether it was the script, whether it was who was going to be named as Thor, uh, who was going to be named as a supporting cast, will we actually see the people that we talked about as Odin inside of the movie? Uh, it, it's been on fire since I can remember for the last four, four and a half years at least. What I thought was real funny is if you look, a lot of the hype was throwing real negatives at the movie because they were criticizing every choice that they were making. Mm-hmm. They wanted somebody mm-hmm. else in a different role. They thought, oh, no, this is the wrong person for the role, especially for like Hemidal and also the guy who was Hogan the Grim. Mm-hmm. And we saw some people griping about those choices, mm-hmm. but it's perfect. It was. I mean, I really have no complaints. You had shown I, me, uh, and for those who don't know, we actually watched this on Blu-ray last night inside of the Two Guys Talking HQ Theater, and what a stellar presentation on Blu-ray. I mean, just super eye-popping. And you actually showed me a picture of Mr. Grimm himself, and I, it didn't look anything like the guy that was inside the movie, but it worked. It, it really did work, even after you showed me that picture. He's an interesting character in the comic. Yeah, again, the internet was on fire with things. I think probably the biggest one was who was going to play Thor? Because there were so many actors that were thought of for this. What I thought was interesting is with choosing him to play the role of Thor is they broke the mold of what they were doing with the previous Marvel pieces. They were using you know Robert Downey Downey Jr. for playing Mm -hmm. Iron Man. Mm -hmm. They were using Ed Norton for playing... Um, Bruce, Bruce Banner. Banner Hulk. Mm-hmm. They were using big name, mm-hmm. really big name mm-hmm. actors for the lead role. All of a sudden, we get to Thor, and yeah. they pull somebody who most people would probably go, "Who?" Yeah. Well, not only that, but when he was showcased last was the the uh, most recent Star Trek offering. 
in uh, 2009. He's actually the father of Captain Kirk. Chris Hemsworth is an outstanding actor, especially showcased here. He, he uh, and we'll hit him more inside yeah. of the the casting set. But pulling him to put literally on the silver feathered cap and hold the hammer was a huge move, and he looks completely different than what he looked like inside of the Star Trek film. Right. And it was an interesting, because like I said, they chose the right, instead of going for, well, we need to have the ultra big name, mm-hmm. they chose the right person. Mm-hmm. The I mean, Roddy Dow Jr., perfect for Iron Man. He's Tony Stark, mm-hmm. period. Ed Norton did a great job as Bruce Banner. Mm-hmm. But they didn't need to stay, they didn't stick themselves to a formula. They went outside what they did with the, those two movies mm-hmm. for somebody else for Thor, mm-hmm. and it worked out perfectly. Who guys talking for the money? Wow. I don't know if I have a better word than wow for the money inside this film. Do you have any idea what this made? No, I haven't looked at it in a, you know, for a spell yet. Okay, sure. Let's have you take a guess at domestic. Any idea what it made here in the States? More than it costs to make. Uh, that's a good guess. That's a good guess. <laughs> the first weekend alone, it made $66 million, which is a ton of money. Domestically, it's made to date $181 million. Just a gargantuan wad of money. It's another corn combine of cash being reviewed here by Two Guys Talking. Where did you go and see this film? This one I saw at Ronnie's. For those of you that don't know, Ronnie's here in St. Louis is where... You saw it in 3D then? No, I I stayed for the regular. Ronnie's is one of the showcases for not only the IMAX as well as many of the 3D offerings are also provided via Ronnie's because literally the place is just so big. It's a gargantuan theater. I saw it for the first time over at the Great Escape over not too far from my house. And then I saw it a second time uh, the same day. We went over to the Regal Theater, and I started watching it in 3D and left. I walked out of the 3D presentation of this movie. We got into the beginning scene with the Frost Giants, and it was so dark, I could not see what was going on. (laughs) So I walked out, and I said, could I have a a ticket for the 2D showing that was going to start another 45 minutes later? And I got something to eat and came back and watched it again. That really struck me because I've I've given 3D a lot of a lot of support, frankly. And this was the first time I'd ever been really, really disappointed in it. It was so dark and just did not it didn't give me anything, especially ever after having seen it the same day earlier in the morning inside a traditional theater. It was really rough to watch in three D. Be interesting to see some other people had the same experience with yeah. that. And that's actually our first call to the audience. Did you guys go and see Thor in three D? Did you like it in 3D? Have you seen it both ways now, either at home or in the theaters? Let us know what you thought about Thor in 3D or out of 3D by going to the Two Guys Talking website at twoguystalking.com. That's the number twoguystalking.com. Pull down the contact button on the right-hand side of the page, fill out the quick web form, and let us know what you thought of the 3D or 2D presentation of Thor. The money domestic for Thor was just gargantuan. But foreign, do you have any idea? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> really dead silence crickets. Nice. It's $267 million. So, again, half as much. It just, you know, again, core combine of cash. The total take worldwide for Thor, $449 million. Just gargantuan. Huge sum of money. And you know what that means, don't you? Sequel. That absolutely means a sequel. Are you a fan of a sequel for this one? You yeah, have I any idea where they're going to go with this? I mean, uh, by the time that comes out, it's going to be post at least an Avengers and an Iron Man film. So wh- where could they go? I think we have to see where the Avengers movie goes to figure out where another Thor mm-hmm. movie would go. Have because... you been following all the stuff on the internet for the Avengers films? No, because sometimes he's trying to separate the um, rumor mill from the fact mill is yeah. no fun. And sometimes I've... it's like... Yes, yes. Nah, it's not going to happen, actually. Is this a... <laughs> <laughs> I, I've started avoiding them all now. I, yeah. I, there were a couple where I enjoyed seeing it, but then I started getting a whole bunch of spoilerific stuff that's mixed in with the kind of mundane, and so I've started avoiding them now, and I don't think I'm going to look at anything until maybe a trailer. Also, sometimes when you're hearing all these things, because you know, I'm hearing the list of villains and what they're going against, and it keeps getting longer and longer, and it's like... Oh, visions of the old Batman movies where they started throwing in more, so many villains into the movie, or Spider-Man Three with so many villains, mm-hmm. in the, and it's like they might actually, you know, when you see it, it works, mm-hmm. but hearing the hype ahead of time might mm-hmm. make you think this isn't gonna work, this isn't gonna work, this isn't gonna work, and it makes you doesn't, you know, encourage you to go see the movie, doesn't inspire, you know, it 
like make you start dreading the movies like they're making mistakes they're making mistakes and yeah i'd rather avoid all that yeah yeah so anyway the the movie made by by thor is again gargantuan a core combine of cash just huge money not only was the money impressive inside of thor but the good details inside this film are never ending the good casting i don't know I'm trying to think of another comic book movie that has got it so right on casting. Anything where you add in, oh, hey, look at the gods living among us, could be such a train wreck. And this was not. This was an outstanding representation of just about everything I can think of inside of moviedom. So obviously, let's start with the lead role. Thor, Chris Hensworth. Great stuff. Uh, yeah. The, the physical visage of the God of Thunder on Earth yeah, I mean, home run. I, I don't know how it could possibly get better. I totally agree. I mean, yeah, no, I just totally agrees. I mean, the last time we saw Thor on TV or, you know, a live action Thor from Marvel was the Hulk storyline, the Hulk TV movie with Thor. Yeah, which was and absolutely terrible. I mean, it I actually enjoyed the movie, but it was a TV movie and it was a it drunken was, Viking. It was a drunken Viking. <laughs> which, <laughs> I can enjoy it for what it was. Yeah. And it's like, but this was. Thor. Yes. It's like, that was a drunken Viking. This was Thor. This was well done and well believable. And playing off also, which very important is his relationship with Loki, his relationship with his father, that whole interaction, he was perfect. It you know, fit together, probably as good as, you know, as far as Vanessa Four movie, the interplay between Johnny and Ben between... Uh, they were so bad, I don't remember them. No, the guy from S.H.I.E.L.D. and... Oh, uh, Michael Chiklis. Michael, Michael Chiklis, Chiklis and, and uh, Chris... Uh, Evans. Evans, yeah. Yeah. Their interplay between each other is almost the best part of that movie because they perfectly it, it, come If we could take out the nine minutes of them interacting and put the Fantastic Four movie stamp on it, I would do that. Yeah. So, likewise here, mm -hmm. Chris working with Anthony Hopkins and his brother Loki mm -hmm. with Tom Huddleston. Mm -hmm. Perfect Brilliant. interplay. Yeah. Perfect family dynamics and you believe their brothers father the kind of relationship that goes into things all works together perfectly. i love watching the throttle of chris hemsworth in this movie you get to see where he's really enjoying his family interaction but then you instantly get to see a just off the handle temper flaring uh princely literally and he did a great job on that and actually i also would say that he pulls off something that which we are talking about later in the bad mm -hmm. That he goes from the hothead to the, not the seasoner, the mature warrior, mm -hmm. the under control, the... Or at least something more mature. Yes, mature. I agree with that. And he does with it with, he does it well. It's be, he does it believable. He goes mm -hmm. from this to this. And even though, like, like I said, we'll say, we'll talk about it a little bit more later. And what he had to do, he, may, he pulls it off as believable. Mm -hmm. Natalie Portman, Jane Foster. Eh, you know, if this was some other pretty... Doll, I would have been just fine. Yeah, uh, we talked a little bit about this last night while we were watching it. Her physical visage, and that she's so small compared to gargantuan, have been lifting weights for eighteen months. Chris Hemsworth was an excellent dynamic here. I just, I don't think she was given enough meat to chew on. Uh, yeah, you know. Actually, I would say that for her, and I also say that for the character of Seth. Mm -hmm. Yeah, who is actually, if you think about it, in comic books, is, is Thor's other girlfriend. Mm -hmm. Even though that was totally glossed <laughs> over in this movie, right. but Thor has always been between Seth and Jane Foster, and yeah, neither one of them were given. Seth was really not given anything, but Jane Foster, it was her role props of more is to serve as a bouncing board for Thor mm -hmm. so that Thor interacts against her rather mm -hmm. than she being a solid enough. She, she is the, she ends up being the audience inside of the movie and that in a couple of scenes that yeah. uh, feature with Dr. Selvig provides what is basically a sounding board with the audience, which I was fine with all of that. Tom Hiddleston is, as Loki was outstanding. Uh, the actual look of that actor inside of this was, yeah. I, it couldn't have possibly been created better. I, I thought it was brilliant with that helmet yeah, the, the, the flowing green cape. It was the perfect movie representation of what Loki should look like. Yeah, I have no problems at all with how he did it, how he conveyed the mischief, mm -hmm. and the, and he also pulled off well the whole thing that you know you even see in the comic books where Loki, on the one hand, he's causing problems, trying to take over the realm, mm -hmm. sometimes wants to kill his brother mm -hmm. and defeat his father, and then the other hand, he loves his father, he loves his brother, and. He pulled that off well. To, he brought that into mm -hmm. the movie well. 
So I agree with that Anthony Hopkins is Odin. Yeah, okay. I, I mean, you know, I, yeah. I thought he was Odin. Yeah. W- was the- that an actor? I thought that they had gotten a camera in to, to look at Odin. Yeah. It was yeah, great. So it was yeah. spectacular. Yeah, Odin was one of those characters where people were very concerned with how to pull it off. Mm-hmm. Because where Thor can be pulled off with a muscle man, Odin has to be pulled off with somebody who is even physically more impressive than mm-hmm. Thor, yet 50 years older than Thor. Yeah. So you've got to make him look huge, big, strong, powerful, and a presence. Mm-hmm. That comes o- only Odin from the king. Odin cannot be obtuse. He yeah. must be power. Yeah. Even even when he falls to the stairs for the Odin sleep, uh, he is power. You literally can see power oozing from him. And I thought it was great. That yeah. was perfect. Stellan Skarsgård appears as actor Eric Selvig, who continues in the little special piece after the film is done. And, you know, who doesn't like Stellan Skarsgård? Goodwill Hunting, for me, is probably my favorite film of his. And... Uh, just super great stuff. Clark Gregg reappears as Agent Coulson inside of this as well. I'm telling you that that is probably the best representation across films that we'll ever see for movies. Because you have to remember that Agent Coulson could be so camp, could be so done wrong. And Clark Gregg here provides another representation of Agent Coulson in every instance where it's totally believable. And actually, if you, I would say... His presence in Iron Man was very shallow, very mm-hmm. thin. He was just there. Mm-hmm. And as he's progressed through the movies, because is this the second or third movie? Third he's, one. The third one he's been in. Mm-hmm. His role, his position, and this one he really pulls off as he's become actually, instead of being part of the background mm-hmm. as he was in the Iron Man movies, he's a major character yeah, in this movie. He's definitely become part of the fabric of what's being pulled off as the Marvel films. There's no doubt about that. Idris Elba pr- uh, provides a performance as Heimdall in this one. And I love this. I, the, the, as much as we'll talk about the controversy about this character, I love the physical visage of this character and the screen time provided to it because it is perfect. Yeah, there is. Hemadol is in comics and I guess mythology, but I know mm-hmm. definitely for comic books, mm-hmm. the somber, ultra serious always on duty guardsman mm-hmm. always watching always and has a very strong presence and power and hem and i have trouble pronouncing his name heimdall no the oh, actor idris elba idris elba pulled it off perfectly i mean he was definitely and he took a role that could be something that i mean honestly hemadol could come across as being nothing more than a glorified doorsman mm-hmm. because he's just stands there at the gate you know at the Pushes bridge the sword and says goodbye yeah and don't be a dumbass so, right yeah. yeah but he takes him from where he could be just basically glorified guardsman saying or you know doorsman standing in the scenery to an actual character that is important and, you know, and you can see his power in mm-hmm. the movie. You mm-hmm. can see, you know, you trust success. him. You absolutely trust him as the Gatesman to, to Asgard. And it works perfectly. Actually, if you remember a few of the scenes where Volkstoff is going, Hemmetal can see us. He's going to hear us. <laughs> so it's not even, it's even, he's fearsome that yeah. everybody else is respects him. Yeah. No great stuff. Colm Fiore, again, pops in here as King Laufey. And for, again, as short as a portrayal, what a brilliant portrayal. I I love the menace that he provides. I also love that there's actually some total sympathy that you have for this character that, oh, by the way, your son's been stolen. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I I love that he was able to pull it off with so little. The actors that can pull off so much when provided with so little, I really, really have a great endearment for. Yeah, in the comics, Frost Giants have never been, to me, they're more have been cannon fodder. They're mm-hmm. just really never there as the main part of the story. They're, well, I mean, once in a while they are, but they're just mm-hmm. not in the movie here, even though they still are to a certain degree cannon fodder because mm-hmm. the story is not about them. The story is about Loki and the story is about Thor. Mm-hmm. And they're just the means to the end. It does do it well. That I have no qualms with how he pulled it off. No, I thought it was great. Remember that if you guys have input about the cast of Thor, you can go check out the link to all of the cast of Thor at our website at twoguystalking.com. Click on any of the banners or representations of Thor on the page, and you'll go directly to the show notes for this podcast, the perspective review of Thor from Two Guys Talking. The costumes. All right. And so there's been one. Five different representations of what Thor could have looked like that could be pulled from. 
and they were able to take, I think, a section of all of them and provide something that looks believable and doesn't look stupid. This is one of those characters where everything could go stupid really, really fast, and none of it did. The cape, perfect. Mm -hmm. The body armor, the arms with the the chain mail, they pulled that off perfectly. Because, mm -hmm. yeah, it is something very hard sometimes to translate it. The chess piece was perhaps a little more intricate than it is in the comic books, mm -hmm. but it wasn't bad. It was something right. that works better live on screen than it does in a comic book when you have to draw the, those lines all the time over mm -hmm. and over and over sure. again. But in film, that's never an issue. Yeah. Perhaps the only sad part is he didn't wear the helmet all that much. Yeah. Because in the comic books, Thor wears his helmet all the time. The helmet is always on his head, mm -hmm. except when he's in a fight and he gets knocked off. But for the most part, the helmet's on his head. In this movie, the helmet was rarely on his head, and it almost... Of course, that's actually been a little bit of a trend for the Marvel movies, where Thor doesn't wear his helmet, Captain America doesn't wear his mask a whole lot, Iron Man keeps opening his mask, War Machine keeps opening his mask, Spider-Man, he kept taking off his mask, so that fits this chain of thought. I wonder where if they there was really something like... inside of the contract where, you know, he literally said, I'll tell you what, I'll wear the helmet for approximately 90 seconds. And then the rest of the time, he'll be holding it in his hand, like in uh, many of the deleted scenes that we saw on the DVDs last night. I think yeah. there were three or four scenes where he actually was holding it in his other hand. They actually, the deleted scenes, had they put that in the movie, we'd start getting the thing that he's afraid to put the helmet on. Yeah. Because it really was something where it he's... like it. With some of the other helmets, I get it. I understand sometimes why they keep opening um, Iron Man's helmet because they're paying to see Robert Downey Jr.'s mm -hmm. face. Mm -hmm. So they want to keep showing his face. Mm -hmm. And also there are some people, and they throw this thing out saying, it's hard for actors to act through the mask. Mm -hmm. They have a hard time conveying their emotions. The only thing is you only have to just turn on your Star Wars movies and watch Darth Vader mm -hmm. and know that a good actor can convey emotion through a full face mask that shows nothing. Who wasn't even there? Yeah. James Earl Jones was never on the set of any Star Wars film. Oh, what? And, and so that we, we can have the actor provide the portrayal perfectly, as well as the voice actor provide the same portrayal. I, I yeah. Uh, oh, just take the little kid. Remember the commercial for the car with the little kid. Yeah, the Volkswagen with, commercial. With the Volkswagen. Yeah. That little kid conveyed total shock and awe through the mask <laughs> without a single word. Yeah. In full body, you know, body language. So anyone who says that a Patrick has to take off his mask in order to convey emotions just needs to go take some acting lessons from that little kid because that kid conveyed total shock and awe through a full mask. The soundtrack. Again, I'm always the soundtrack horror, so you're going to hear this anyway. But something that we actually commented on last night was the, the first triumphant note that I remember is when all of the horses are riding towards the Heimdall inside of the Rainbow Bridge Command Center. That's when I first remember the... And it's just outstanding soundtrack. And then through the entire film, it is one of the quintessential soundtracks that I just think people probably overlook. Yeah, I'll have to say, for the most part, I think I might have overlooked it because my attention a lot of times was on the scenery mm -hmm. and on mm -hmm. other things. Now, maybe after I've watched the movie a few times, the soundtrack will start becoming a little more... Pronounced? Pronounced. Mm -hmm. And to be honest, I can't, you know, cannot watch the Thor movie without having my Lord of the Rings comparisons, especially sure. Asgard to Middle-Earth. Well, and in the, the giant scenes. In the that, that first thing where they're talking about the... the Odin's talking about the lore of the giants and, yeah. and old Earth or ancient Earth. Right. But those scenes where the armies appear are right out of something inside of Lord of the Rings. Right. So to me, there was some things about the music to me did continue that thought. They gave me that. I do. Um, the, what I remember of the music, what did hit me was Lord of the Ringish. Yeah. Okay. So that's where it kept that feel that this is the fantasy realm. Mm -hmm. But like I said, I think I probably have to watch it a few more times before the music starts becoming a little more. Fear not, because right. I have a copy of the soundtrack for you, as well as you can go to our website at twoguystalking.com and click on the uh, button that we've provided there to download the soundtrack directly from Amazon. And remember, every time you download the soundtrack from Amazon, you get Two Guys Talking a little bit of kickback. So remember to check that out at twoguystalking.com. It's a spectacular soundtrack. You won't be disappointed. Impossible concepts realized. All right, so... This is another something you and I talked about where we would see something on the screen and we'd go, brilliant. And we're just, we're going to run through a list quick with some thought behind it. First up, Asgard. Asgard could have been another so stupid thing. 
but they pulled it off wonderfully. They take you through the visage of the Galaxy Tree of Life. You appear on the underside of Asgard, and as it spins upside down, they bring out this city that looks like a, you know, just this this thing lost in time travel. They had kept the grandeur. Absolutely. That's what they did. They pulled in the grandeur of a majestic, faraway world that doesn't fall into the realms of the laws of physics. Yeah. I'm a little bit, maybe, have a little, I don't want to say less, but... Every time I look at the set and things, for some reason, some part of my brain always flashes back to Flash Gordon. Sure. I can see that. There's a, and, a bunch of those angles and the metal. I can see that. Yeah, and I think part of it was, because we talked about this when we were watching the movie, is they brought in yellow. Mm-hmm. We have not seen yellow used so much in scenery mm-hmm. in a, you know, in those you know, the grand palaces and things since movies like this from the seventies movies. Mm-hmm. And also the introducing the, you know, the rainbow bridge and all the different colors being thrown in there. Mm-hmm. I think in between the seventies, after we got out of the psychedelic disco era and stuff, movies became a little more muted in some of their faraway colors and stuff. Mm-hmm. Cause even like, if you think about it in, there was more colors in the original Star Trek series mm-hmm. in bright colors and a little more stuff than we saw in later movies and mm-hmm. later series. Mm-hmm. And I think that's part is they brought back some of the old 70s style of use of color, mm-hmm. which might be really good to see if it continues and other movies are going to start following suit because, you know, these things tend to run in trends. So mm-hmm. sure. one movie does it, pulls it off, and somebody else says, okay, when we're going to do our fantasy place, they're going to have now more color than just mm-hmm. whites and grays well, and it's blacks. really funny, too, because in the post-process of a film now, the adding in that color or making the colors that are there bolder literally is a, you know, a, a, a dial so they get to decide how much color is there. I, I thought it was great. You uh, you actually mentioned another one that's on the list, the Rainbow Bridge slash Bifrost. This is another could have been so inanely stupid concept that I think is probably one of the best elements of the film. Uh, again, the travel between two worlds, both that transition of actually watching the movie between both worlds, but the physical visage of you're on this world and now you're traveling to another one and you appear on another one, I thought was brilliant in both ends. Just really well done. One article I was reading, it was in Newsarama, they're talking about the reason they didn't use the just the concept from the comic books, which tends to be just more of a rainbow bridge going through space, sort of like what you see on leprechauns, yeah. where they're just traveling yeah, on a yeah. they're traveling on a bridge, was to bring in a little bit of a sci-fi element into Asgard because most of the stuff that we've seen previously in Asgard is very fantasy elements right we see horses we see swords we see helmets we see grand halls of giant table filled with food like you see in a castle right yeah so the bifrost gave them a science fiction element plus it provided the tool that was used for the you know the climax of the movie if they had left it just being the regular old bridge the ending they would have to go for a completely different way to have thor save the day at the end of the movie the science of being immortal. This is something just only glanced on. We talked a little bit about it after we watched the movie last night. But the, the this is not just, well, at least when they're in Asgard, these are not just people that are riding around on horses with these gallant suits of armor. This is something completely different. That they were able to convey that without getting hung up on it, I thought was a home run here. Yeah. It was really well done. Yeah, I have to agree with that. Yeah. The physical mechanics of the Rainbow Bridge. This is something else, that whole spinny aim aim the gun of the rainbow bridge towards wherever you're going, hit the fire button, and you go. Again, all of that could be amazingly stupid, and it was not. It was one of the most, I think, attractive pieces of, of what we can see inside of comic book movies this summer. And it's one of those things that you probably could not have done 30 years ago. True. True. I, I would say even 10 years ago. We, we can go back and look at the original Lord of the Rings film and how great it was. It was awesome. But pulling off something like the Rainbow Bridge even 10 years ago? Wow, I don't I don't know. Yeah. I really don't. The closed captioning, Dead Horse. All right, so once again, this movie, at least in the Blu-ray presentation, was not closed captioned, but offered the subtitles as provided for those that are deaf and or hard of hearing. And they were great. They were great. They were just the perfect tinge of white so as to not be distracting on the screen, and they were not gargantuan. The other thing that befalls, especially subtitles, is that they'll make them like a giant green or a giant bright yellow. 
you know, like a 50 point font. So that you only get half a sentence at a time. And that's very hard to read as well as it's yellow. So let's not do that. Let's make it subtle. In this case, it was just white. It wasn't on a black background, like closed captions, which I actually prefer. Uh, but it was excellent. Plus, it was spot on. There weren't any skips. There weren't any clips of the of the script. It was all exactly what you see. And in that presentation for deaf and hard of hearing, you'll also see that all the sound effects are also represented, which again helps to add to being bathed in the experience as opposed to just yet another movie, which I love all of that. It's really, really great. The production design. Yes, I know all of you are sick of hearing about the people that are underneath the hood as opposed to the stars that are on top, but I've got to tell you that without the people like production designers and directors of photography and the gaffers and all the people making programs like this possible, you would not see the quality that you're seeing, especially in a movie like Thor. And so again here, you look at any set. I could stop the movie in any piece anywhere in the movie, even out in the middle of the desert, and production design had their total game on. All of those representations of like the curly Norse stuff that was at the bottom of the tornado where the Rainbow Bridge touches down. How cool was that? The the floors inside of the Grand Hall in Asgard. Are you kidding me? Really? Yes. Just brilliant stuff that really looked like they took time and care. And then they spelled perimeter wrong on the outside <laughs> of the... Coach! <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> taking out yeah. the production designer's eye. Very nice. <laughs> Provide him a patch. Yeah. I, I, I love stuff One like mistake that. in a whole movie is not bad because <laughs> you've seen enough movies to see where we go through people have this list of thing of all the little mistakes that they made. The I think, they made, yeah. yeah, it's like, movie okay, one account, mistake, yeah. spelling perimeter wrong, and they actually <laughs> blame it on S.H.I.E.L.D. agents not taking <laughs> yeah. complete, you know, not having spell check, spell check. on their sign, on right. sign design. <laughs> That's awesome. It was great. I, I, I cannot name enough great pieces of production design inside this film. I dare you to stop the movie at any frame and show me an ugly frame of this movie, and it doesn't exist. Even inside of what was a, a rainy, muddy, out in the middle of the desert during a rainstorm nest, all of the production design is just spot on inside of this. It's really well done. The carrier conveying Hawkeye to his perch. How stupid could that have been? And it wasn't. It was pulled off wonderfully. Yeah, even though the whole white tent with the tubes going a thing and it makes you like why in the world would they do that but it works real well for the story mm -hmm. i'm not actually sure the the logic why the federal government would build the thing but it works well in yeah. the story and that's really all that matters we can think of a re we can make up a reason yeah. to do it but it may it did well for having thor running through the tube mm -hmm. fighting different agents one on you know when he came across them mm -hmm. It added to a thing without it just running across a straight field and then running into the building probably would not have been as effective a scene. Yeah, I agree with that. Delivering expository information. For those of you that don't know what expository information was, imagine any movie where you've seen uh, essentially a picture of a map and then you have a character explaining what needs to happen next and what kind of path you've got to negotiate or Dora's got to go over the bridge and into the mountains and then over to the golden blah, blah, blah. That's expository information. Inside of a movie like Thor, it could be death. Well, it wasn't. There are so many things that are explained inside of here, whether it's one of the characters talking to a family member about X or Agent Coulson trying to explain what's going on or... Still in Skarsgård providing some detail, or Natalie Portman providing some detail. Yeah. All of it could be death, a giant trap, and they were able to avoid them all. Yeah, perfect example of that was Thor's hammer Mjolnir. Yeah. All the Asgardians already know this, mm -hmm. but still they managed to convey, because of the pomp and circumstance of the particular scene that fits... Odin is talking about how this great weapon to destroy or to build, mm -hmm. how it was forged in the heart of a dying sun. That exposition could have come across very flat. Yeah. Literally was, a piece of a rectangle in a comic book. That's how yeah. it could have come across. Yeah, it could have come across very flat mm -hmm. if it wasn't put in the right context. Because you've got to have them talk about it because to the general audience who knows nothing about the hammer, they need to know what the hammer is mm -hmm. why it's so special. Mm-hmm. But they have to do it in such a way that, like you said, it doesn't come across as like a piece, you know, a flat rectangle in a comic book. Mm -hmm. I would say the only scene where I think that perhaps was a little bit may have messed, they didn't quite succeed on that, was trying to explain why the Bifrost was dangerous. 
because they had the thing where it says, why don't you leave the gate open? Well, if we left the gate open, it will blow up the world. And it's like that one was perhaps the only time I did thought the exposition didn't come off quite so well. But other than that, the beginning scene with Odin talking about setting up the scenery, setting up who the Asgardians are, who the Frost Giants were, mm-hmm. their conflict, mm-hmm. perfect intro perfect exposition. another giant minefield would have been the explanation of how loki is actually a frost giant right it wasn't i thought it was wonderfully done i thought all of the transitions for him were wonderfully done the first transition in the fight the veiled hide that there is truly something being hidden i thought that that's something that could have also failed but it didn't it was really well pulled off dr selvik is another perfect example of excellent exposition it's almost like the character is there to provide this exposition and mm-hmm. provide wisdom, he's because he's you know he's in the role of Natalie Portman's mentor. Mentor, yeah. exactly. Yeah, and he provides all this exposition that is necessary for. This is dangerous. You do not go with a crazy man out into the wilderness. <laughs> These little things that were necessary. He is almost like he's. It does not exist in the comic books. He's something that's totally you know brought in for the movie. Mm-hmm. And that role there of serving where providing all this information fits. If without him in the role, there would have been a lot of either you'd have to ha- hope the audience can assume this information mm-hmm. from what's being what's there, or you have to have somebody doing it in a very wooden way that doesn't work. Yeah. And actually, what's funny is his son, we were grasping for who was supposed to play or could have played Thor. Well, his son is one of them. His son actually stars inside of uh, HBO's True Blood. As Eric Northman, that's Alexander Skarsgård, who could have been and I think was on the slate of playing him. And I think he could have easily gotten as big because I think he's actually taller than Chris Hemsworth is. I don't know how that would have impacted him playing on True Blood because one month he would have been kind of you know lean and reasonably athletic. And then he would have been just this giant hulking guy. That would have been very interesting. But he was also one of the people that was was supposed to play. Just all kinds of great stuff seeped inside of Thor 2011. No doubt about it. The mixing of the relationships between this film and other Marvel properties. This is something that Marvel continues to excel at, especially after looking at something farcical like Green Lantern. And you can see the, the quality difference just starkly between the way they're weaving what's going on inside the Marvel Universe and whatever the hell DC is doing on their side to present whatever they're going to present. But it's super clear. And obviously we know that Avengers is coming, but we can actually see the, the weaving of the, the needle and thread through the material of these movies. And I love that they're doing a outstanding job of that yeah in the dvd that mike and i watched mm-hmm. last night mm-hmm. we watched part of these you know the special features and mm-hmm. one of the sections was the road to the avengers movie mm-hmm. and they brought out something i thought was very true because you know I, they said it and then i'm thinking about it and it's like yeah it's actually very true they're doing something that i don't think has never been done before they mm-hmm. are taking a hulk movie an Iron Man movie, Mm -hmm. a Thor movie, a Captain America movie, taking the lead characters out of all those movies, plus a few of the guest stars, and then putting them all into another movie. Mm -hmm. All of these larger-than-life characters, there's never been a live-action super team like this. I mean, we've had the Fantastic Four, but the Fantastic Four were family. Mm -hmm. DC has tried to pull Justice League off ground they did a tv movie which was really really bad and was basically 21 jump street combined with justice league it was a really really bad <laughs> when, made for TV when was movie. that was that recently or is that, no, that old was back school? in the that was now, back in the um early 90s late 80s really yeah oh wow i don't even know about that so yeah, I'm gonna say i don't it was think really, they allow really it to be seen so <laughs> <laughs> that's how it was um you know there's the a movies there's the b movies and the roger corman movies and this one below is the roger corman movies wow uh, yeah it was really a bad movie like i said it was 21 jump street with um, superheroes they've never pulled off a movie this has not been done before where they're taking these this separate pieces and trying to make it all come together into it's almost like they're trying to do what they do in the comic books where you have the superman you know iron man comic books hulk comics thor comics captain america comics and have them all be on a team together the same people who are in these all these separate things this is done in comics this is done in books this has never been done before live action Mm -hmm. i'm super stoked for that with the way they've been able to weave all of this stuff together i i 
I know I'm setting myself up for failure, but I so am ready to see it. I think it's going to be a great experience. The other thing that they're doing well is, because we've seen this before, we see the first movie is really good, and then the second movie just isn't quite so good. And then the third movie is even worse than the first two. But first Iron Man. Excellent. Mm -hmm. The remake, the restarting the Hulk, getting away from the Ang Lee Hulk when they Mm -hmm. restarted the Hulk for part of the series. Perfect. Mm -hmm. Iron Man 2. Great movie. Maybe Mm -hmm. not quite as good as Iron Man 1, but Mm -hmm. still a great movie. Mm -hmm. Thor. Mm -hmm. Perfect. Mm -hmm. Captain America. Perfect. Mm -hmm. They're maintaining the quality from movie to movie to movie. It's not like you're saying, ooh, Iron Man, cool. Thor, eh, I have to bear through it to get to it. And then it makes you really wonder whether they can pull off Avengers. But they're doing it well over mm-hmm. and over and over. Yeah. So it and makes you have more confidence. Yeah. I love that there's no, wow, oh my God, this is so awesome, more for any one of the movies. They're all of substantial quality. And that's what you need. You really do need to, you need to pave all of those roads into the center and make them quality, and they and have. And, totally yeah, have. and also, though, I would add, they're also building because mm-hmm. Thor's mm-hmm. good. Yeah. Captain America even went a step further. I don't know if I say Captain America is a better or worse movie, but it took a step I will. further. I will. And this is just quite a, a quick little primer slash harbinger to our Captain America perspective review. I think Captain America is probably the best crafted from book to movie ever. Yeah, it's one of those things I have to, you know. You put that in your bonnet and yeah. you think about that yeah, when we have the review. Because yeah. I'm telling you, I finished that movie and I'm like, wow. I yeah, think no, I've just seen uh, yeah. one of the best it's movies just, ever. Yeah, it was just, I saw Thor, thought the same thing. I saw Capsule. It's almost, <laughs> I always, to be honest, I'm one of these people that hate the whole, what are your favorite, what's your five favorite movies? What's your five favorite? What's your favorite? Mm-hmm. It's like, it depends on the day because today Cap mm-hmm. is and then tomorrow because, you know. I, I don't disagree, but Captain America provided, oh. and I mean, we're going to hit that. That one hard when we hit it. But that was just an outstanding representation of a film that... Uh, but that's I, what it says. It has to pull this all... It's 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 building because, like it says, it is... I mean, there's... Yeah, I actually, maybe I'll say that it was a more solid story. Mm-hmm. Thor had the more superhero fighting stuff, which I love. I mean, I whole love the whole slam the hammer down to the ground, hit the lightning bolt, and mm-hmm. the problem Earth is that you've turns seen into it now. an ocean. Right, but you've now seen it. Yeah. And that's... That's Cap, what I mean. Yeah. Um, Cap's got so much awaiting, and he won't ever not have something awaiting. Yeah. But it's just pulling. It's just building anticipation mm-hmm. towards this Avengers movie. Yeah, absolutely. Let's take a break here during the Two Guys Talking Perspective Review of Thor 2011 here on the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network. We'll be right back. Are you afraid to answer the phone because it might be another collector calling? Do you lay in bed at night worrying about how you're going to pay your bills? Are you and your spouse arguing over the bills and the lack of finances? Do you think you're making good money but have no idea where it's going? Hi, I'm Mark Hollander, and studies indicate that 70% of families are living paycheck to paycheck. The Compass Project was specifically designed to help train families about how to properly budget their income and create the right plan to make sure their bills are paid timely. As a nationally certified Dave Ramsey counselor, we are able to step back and look at your finances objectively and provide you with no-nonsense solutions to your financial struggles. We'll work with you, creating a plan to make payments, anticipate financial needs, gradually eliminate your debt, and provide you with a peace of mind to finally get a good night's sleep. Contact us for a free consultation at 636-949-9949. That's 636-949-9949 or at budgetingyourfinances.net. That's budgetingyourfinances.net. The Sachs Group, helping consumers and small businesses since 1985. Travel. It's what everyone wants more of in their life. But wow, where do you start? So many options, so many destinations, and finding the time in one's own schedule. You might think that all is lost, but there's hope on the horizon. Tune into the Travel Planners Podcast with us, Sue and Kevin McCarthy, to learn about how best to travel, what cities to visit, and catch a glimpse of the variety of ways to make the most of your travel dollars. From shopping for bargains in London's Portobello Antique Market. Watching monkeys groom each other as you sit on the balcony of your
your hotel in Malaysia. Sipping rum cocktails while enjoying the sunset over Bloody Bay in Jamaica. Staying up all night to observe St. Petersburg, Russia's White Nights Festival. Hiking the Great Wall of China. Enjoying the grandeur of the Grand Canyon. Or enjoying an unbelievably first-class journey on the cruise on rails, the Grand Lux Express. It's all available now on the Travel Planner Podcast with Kevin and Sue McCarthy on the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network, www.twoguystalking.com. That's the number two, guystalking.com. Did you get my underwear and stuff packed in the last bag? I thought you did. No, I didn't. Okay, uh, be sure to check us out, the Travel Planners Podcast on twoguystalking.com. Hey, podcast fans. We've had a ton of feedback about our podcast efforts and wanted to invite you to the newest piece of the Two Guys Talking experience, Two Guys Talking TV. That's right. Now you can watch us live as we record all of our podcasts. It's all available live via the web right now. Get literally under the hood with Two Guys Talking as we edit down podcasts, punch out great custom website work, custom cartooning, and a ton more. It's never been easier to enjoy the creation process and to share and revel with all the cool behind-the-scenes fun with Two Guys Talking TV. Check it out now at twoguystalking.com forward slash TV. We look forward to interacting with you. Thanks for watching, and we'll see you soon via Two Guys Talking TV. This is Max from the great country of Scotland, and whenever I'm adjusting my kilt... I'm listening to the Two Guys Talking Podcast. Welcome back, everybody, to the Two Guys Talking Perspective Review of Thor 2011 here on the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network. Just as every movie has good things, there's also the bad. Too many things too neatly wrapped up. That's just kind of where we're going to take a bullet pepper list, I think, because frankly, there's just not a whole lot that's bad inside of this movie. Yeah. There isn't. I, I, and actually, we might be just a little too much to find the bad because... <laughs> yes, we are. We are because there has to be something in contrast here. The first thing we're going to talk about is... You are an old podcaster and a fool. Destroyer gone too soon. Usually we reserve that for in particular comedians that die and I always write art blog articles or whatever about them, but destroyer was gone way too soon here. Uh, it's not that he wasn't taken out by something powerful. He was taken out by the God of thunder. Yes, but gone too soon. Well, here's where we can throw in a little bit of from the comic books. Destroyer is something from the comics, not from mythology Mm -hmm. in the comic books. Thor cannot beat the destroyer. (laughs) Destroyer is Odin's ultimate weapon. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know somebody's you know they take somebody's spirit puts it inside the thing in fact usually that's the only way is to do it is you break the controller basically mm-hmm. get the person who's controlling it out of it mm-hmm. the blast cannot be stopped in fact if I remember right I'm not 100% sure about that but if I remember right in one of the first times of the head destroyer the blast broke the hammer oh wow but if I remember right in the initial thing the blast broke the hammer hmm. it was Ultimate weapon, even the thing with Sith driving the spear, her sword, spear, whatever that blade of hers is called, Mm -hmm. right through the back of it. In the comic books, it would have shattered on his armor. The Destroyer is that powerful. The Destroyer is, it it lives up to its name. It is the ultimate weapon of the Asgardians. (laughs) But I think the thing is that in the movie, though, the Destroyer is not the villain. The Destroyer is not the threat. The threat is Loki. Loki is the villain. So that's why the Destroyer gets taken down a little too easy in the thing, which again, we go the. It's Thor, it's the hammer, and this is not the comic book. So well, we can and, accept all the fact that it's not the comic, it's not the same, and Thor is the ultimate power weapon in the movie. Right, not only that, but we also have to remember that we need to get on with the movie. Right. <laughs> as much as I know we'd both like to see a 45-minute fight between Thor and the Destroyer, ending in some sort of super huge explosion-y thing, and then Thor just continues on with the story, and then the Destroyer comes back in the sequel... We have to get done with the movie. Right. So I, like, I totally get that. Yeah, which goes back to my point is that the Destroyer was not the main. <laughs> Actually, to me, the other negative on the Destroyer, because they're using the Destroyer in Thor, they cannot use Ultron in the Avengers. And Ultron, to me, is the you know is perhaps the quintessential Avengers villain who is an indestructible robot who fires an energy blast out of his 
face. Oh, so it's well, like so that's been done. Yeah, so it's like <laughs> it's been done in Thor. So we really can't do it in the not, uh, things. It's like that to me is disappointing because Ultron is the perfect Avengers villain. Doesn't it get kind of just old though? Where oh look, the face is opening up again to fire yet another energy blast. Let's stop it. Okay, continue on for an hour and forty-seven minutes. I don't think so. Well, no, in the comic book, Ultron is more devious than that. He's like Skynet in a body. Um, Kill all humans. Okay. He um, has plans and plots, and he's actually... Who are the other big Avengers villains? Name them. The big Avengers villains is Ultron, Kang. Those are the two, you would say, the number one villains. There's the Masters of Evils. There's the Lethal Legion. Not quite so much. Masters of Evil more so. Zemo's been a big one. I mean, that's fine. I can't think of it. But the two, <laughs> said, the, the two original long-term villains, Kang was one of the first that showed up in like issue um, within the first ten issues. Enchantress. Well, actually, some of them, they use a, borrow a lot of villains from also their you know, Thor's villains show up in there. Captain America's villains show up in there. Iron Man's villains show up. Well, and the reason I'm I'm glad to hear all of those villains is because it won't end after the first one. No, which is good. That I want there to be nice fresh content. All of the villains in the first one. Right, right, right. No, I'm with you there. You are an old podcaster and a fool. Shield needs to get their game on. All right, so hey, let's let the guy that was Thor, but now is named Doctor Marcus somebody. Ah, he can go. That's fine. Oh, and by the way, go ahead and take that book. Sure, you go ahead. You go ahead and take that book. That's fine. It looked like S.H.I.E.L.D. was inept there. And it's, again, one of those very few picky, nitpicky things, but still there. See, to me, I looked at it from a different point of view. I saw the taking of the book, yeah. The fact that he just walked past this. The body of evidence lying out in the truck in the rain. (laughs) (laughs) In the rain. I'd forgotten about that, too. Sure. Yes. Then it was protected. It was in a leather-bound book. Yeah. And grabbing the book, that was the thing. But I think the whole letting Thor go was a plot. I mean, like we said, the fact that he sends two agents to follow him means Coulson thinks something else is going on with this guy. But the only thing that I find was a little bit they didn't do well is explaining why Coulson thought there was something going on with mm-hmm. this guy. Just because he beat, you know, he took out his men like they were, um, in his own words, mall cops. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that was enough of a reason for him to say, I want to let him go to see what happens. I want to see what's going on with this guy. Something else should have spurred the, yes. the thought. Perhaps, I mean, even if it was something as simple as this guy was called Thor. And. Hmm, mythology. Mythology hmm. and a hammer. <laughs> I want to see where this goes. If they had that kind of a little bit of a thought process going on behind it's like, probably not, but let's just see. Well, that would have made a little more yes. sense than the blank, why are you do- not saying why you are doing this? Yeah. Even if, if, not, if nothing else, where he and another agent or two or three are having a conversation and they're interrupted by something going on and then Coulson walks over and says, oh, well, you know what? We've decided to let you go. Yes. Then there's at least something question mark that is now question mark is gone and you proceed. It would have just taken 35, 40 seconds to depict it. And I I wish they'd have done that. Though I do like in that particular scene where they're letting him go. If you know, remember, they gave the false, the driver's license for Donald Blake and they falsified the thing. (laughs) Because you see in so many movies where... The, the good guys pull one over on the authorities with a fake ID or something like that. I love the fact that they look at the computer screen saying, falsified data. <laughs> it's like it didn't full shield for two seconds, and but they still, but sees where it goes like, we'll ignore that point. <laughs> I mean, they know that it's fake, but they're curious. I wanted to know why... Yeah, there should be a little bit more explanation for why he let them, you know, why he pat, you know, let, pull, let the rope go out a little further with these guys. <laughs> You are an old podcaster and a fool. Being worthy of the hammer. Now, we had just talked briefly about this as we started. In fact, if you're watching it, Two Guys Talking TV, you can go and look at the beginning of the raw video capture for the audio portion of this podcast, and you can get a little bit about what we were talking about in regard to being worthy of the hammer. The bottom line is that in a span of 28 minutes or so, Thor goes from being expelled heel of Asgard to, and now you're worthy and here's your hammer. Right. In the comic books, they ha- the, the concept comes from the comic books. The concept comes where Thor causes problems back home. 
and he is such a spoiled brat and so full of himself that his father decides, you need to be taught a lesson. So he turns him into a human, gives him a limp, and sends him down to live his life as a doctor. And after years of being a doctor, he stumbles across the hammer, or actually stumbles across a wooden stick, hits the ground, and turns into Thor. And then progresses from there. But it took years to learn the humility. I realize that they're trying to do it in the span of a, you know, a two-hour movie. But to be honest, they could have done... They could have really pulled that off. They could have had Thor suddenly being in medical school, and then you jump a few years in the future from there, and you jump a few years in the future, instead of having this whole thing occur within the span of about mm, 48 hours. Actually, probably even like 24 hours the whole movie occurs mm-hmm. within. Mm-hmm. It was a choice, which was as it makes things like it look like he... Because I did know some people missed the whole concept that he mm-hmm. became worthy by yeah. offering his life, says kill me mm-hmm. is what was made him worthy and some people were asking wait a second he became worthy because he cooked breakfast for jane and did the dishes and they didn't quite catch the whole he became worthy when he started putting his own life second to everybody else around there first he didn't try taking the glory by leading the warriors three and sif in the battle he says i'm mortal I'll be in your way. You guys do it. I'll help get the other people out of there. He showed humility, and then he showed self-sacrifice by offering himself up to his brother. says, kill me, leave them alone. That's where he was for showing how he became worthy. But, again, they had to do this all with him learning this major life lesson, basically from being humbled by not grabbing the hammer and then having a, you know going to the bar and having a good talk with the good old mentor figure for Jane Foster. Mm-hmm. So... It works. They managed to pull it off, but it, you have to take that one with a grain of salt. Right. And again, I, I totally admit that it's us reaching deeply into what is yeah. Thor to try and find something negative. You are an old podcaster and a fool. The Warriors 2.5. So not quite The Warriors 3, and why is that, Kip? Because Volstag is perhaps half the size or a third of the size <laughs> he is in comic books. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I didn't get this concept until, again, you showed me the actual picture of what he's supposed to look like in the comic books. And, guys, I'm not kidding. I mean, he's like a he's like a circle with a dot on top for a head and a couple of stick arms sticking out with a beard. He's yes. a huge guy. Just yes. ginormous guy. Yes. He makes Santa Claus look like his smaller brother. <laughs> but huge. the thing is, is, and I was reading in the Newsarama article again, they said that they were a little concerned that people would not find him as believable warrior with the other two Mm -hmm. so they decided to slim him down it's just that in the comic books he is to certain degree played for the comic relief he's the one that beats a lot of villains by just falling on them and it's like he lands on them and they can't get up (laughs) but he is actually a formidable warrior and pretty much indestructible i mean the comic books he is constantly the eating part they got right because he's always looking for his food and he um, has to always carry food with him this also makes me want to mention those couple of blu-ray deleted scenes that we saw that I'm really glad they deleted out. Yeah. There were a couple, uh, when their warriors three and Sif are coming into the town was one that was removed that I think was really well removed. And then they actually just CGI'd Volstaff in there as he's walking into the city with them. And it, I'm glad that they altered that. Cause I think it would have been stupid. Otherwise I think four or five of those deleted scenes that we saw, I think we, we finished them and we said, Yep, glad they cut him. Yeah, notice it was more towards the end of the movie too. Mm-hmm. Yes, the ones in the beginning would have actually probably helped the movie, enhanced it. Yeah, the one part though of the scene that they did clip that I actually kind of liked, mm-hmm. which is to me it explains why they didn't have Barton, who becomes Hawkeye in the Avengers movie, being the one who followed Thor. Because mm-hmm. to me, it's like, well, why didn't you have? Barton do the following. The reason they didn't have him do the following is the scene that was deleted when they have Volsta goes up finds the two um, S.H.I.E.L.D. agents spying on Thor, and he knocks the two of them out effortlessly. And then he eats his sandwich. Yeah, and then he eats a sandwich. <laughs> that particular scene I actually would not mind staying in the movie because I thought it would it would have been a nice touch. It's not needed, but I wouldn't have mind that. However, getting there, those scenes were, did not need to be – those scenes wouldn't have added to the movie. Yeah. Um, but that's also why I could say – Clint Barton would not have been because if Clint Barton was taken out by Volstagg so easily, then you're supposed to believe he's Hawkeye in the next movie. Mm-hmm. Other than that, Warriors 3, though, in general, though, I'd say 
even though the fact that they did put him to, you know, sent him to Weight Watchers to lose a half of his body weight or <laughs> three-fourths of his body weight, pretty much came off perfectly from the comic books. Hogan the Grim barely ever talks in comics. He barely says a word. He is very somber, very serious. Mm-hmm. Fandral mm-hmm. is Earl Flynn's Robin Hood with mm-hmm. a sword instead of bow and arrow. Mm-hmm. And he is the ladies' man, and it is perfect dead yeah. on to the thing mm-hmm. and the guy they got playing whom it turned out we found out was the third choice to play Fandral mm-hmm. it's like I can't I can't see the other two doing him better it was no, like I he was either. perfect because the character is the Norse version of Earl Flynn mm-hmm. playing Robin Hood so I mean it was it was perfectly done it, it was as well as it can be done and you know Warriors 2.5 fits the bill just simply because you can't depict Warriors 3 as they were depicted right you are an old podcaster and a fool. The father, son, and son chain. Now, as we watch the movie, this is the one thing that that was the speed bump for me inside the film. And it's at the end after Thor destroys the bridge and there's lots of explodey rainbowness going on. And as they're falling, you pan back to Odin's domicile where he's he's having the Odin nap. And he has a tear coming down his cheek. And then they pan back to more falling. And as they fall past where the bridge was again, Odin pops up in full regalia, grabs Thor's hand, who grabs a stick. And then Loki grabs the bottom of the stick. And and just the, the, the physical film cadence that went on there was weird. It wasn't bad. It's just like, okay, well, this is what they came up with. And here you go. And I wanted to see something different. I, I, I can't articulate what I wanted like to have seen differently. It just was, it was a speed bump for me. See, to me, this is one of the ones, the spots where we'll disagree on things because it didn't bother me at all because mm-hmm. to me, it kind of was showing father, son, son relationship mm-hmm. that despite everything, Loki still family and the whole thing of Odin showing up to, you know, save the day is like, yeah, but this is – it fits the – you know, yes, it is a little cheesy, mm-hmm. but it fits the whole feel of the – the thing that perhaps was a little bit failing was there was, say, two positions – two parts of exposition that probably should have been better expounded upon that were not given to us, so we have to fill it in ourselves – and one of them is why in the world was this a danger to Thor and Loki for falling? We don't. I mean, it's like okay, there's a bridge, they're falling, but we know Thor can fly. <laughs> we know Loki has magic, so why was this dangerous to them? And that was the one thing that's the the, the why it was dangerous for them to fall was a little bit. I thought they missed explaining that. And then the whole Odin sleep. If you read the comics, you know what it's about. But it was in the, one of the deleted scenes where they explained what the Odin sleep was about. Where he's actually recharging. And again, for those that don't know, it's like, did he have a stroke? Or is it the Odin stroke? What, what is going on with that? Yeah. And the, yeah, the Odin sleep is when he's actually recharging batteries, essentially. And that, that was missing. I think that even a, even a small little note somewhere probably inside of when you're in the chambers and the mother mentioned something. Yeah. Which it was I think the, was actually was, included in the deleted yeah, scene. Yeah, it was the deleted scene where his mo- um, where Loki and his mother were talking and she says, mm-hmm. he said, this came upon us so quickly we didn't get time to prep for it. And there's a few other things she said, but there yeah. was more of an explanation of what was going on. Oh, and here. any explanation really. And I think yeah. that that's good. So we come to the part of the Two Guys Talking podcast where we rate this movie Thor 2011 Kip, what did you think of Thor? It was everything I wanted from a Thor movie. I mean, they're really... Yeah, there was a few things I would have liked to see a little more showing of the spinning hammer. Mm-hmm. They showed it a little bit in the beginning, but I think only comic fans actually probably caught really what was going on because we know about the spinning hammer, and I don't know if they... I would have liked to see a little more. There were a few little things here and there I would have liked to have seen. But it's like, you know, it's definitely in my top five best superhero movies and things and of course it's like Dane meets Iron Man <laughs> Captain America Thor it's like all these recent movies mm-hmm. are just perfect movies and I have no qualms with watching them over mm-hmm. and over and over it's like you know this is like this is going to be like Lord of the Ring movies lore um, the original Spider-Man movie or some things where you can know there'll be click oh and just watch it watch and play it, it in the background yeah. just something playing in the background mm-hmm. it's a perfect movie um 
perfect part of a series of movies. I give this movie a 10. A 10. Wow. That's awesome. I, I think one of the best parts of Thor is that f- even for people that are completely unfamiliar with comic books, somebody has heard the word Thor or they know of the Norse gods or they know of something that has to do with something tied to this movie. And so there's no doubt about that this movie was made for comic book fans, which I love. I love when they take the target audience and they spin it so that you can get a giant 20 die roll 20 hit of comic book fans. That is this movie. There's no doubt about that. Um, The only reason I'm not going to give this movie a 10 is because I know there's another one coming and I know that Captain America waits. And so a seven is a standard fare where you'd sit down, grab your popcorn, and love this movie. I love this movie enough to give it an eight. This is a must-see comic book movie for anybody. I'm not the Thor fan. I am I am not a Thor fan. But I am absolutely a comic book movie fan. And this would get me every single time. This is a step above your, your notch of comic book movie. And it's so well told. The soundtrack sends me over the top, and I give it an eight. So what did you think of Thor 2011? Make sure you tell us what you thought of this movie by going to our website at twoguystalking.com. Click on the contact button on the top right-hand side of the page. Fill out the quick web form and let us know what you thought of Thor 2011 starring Chris Hemsworth, Anthony Hopkins, and a talented cast of people that provide you with true, solid comic book movies. Until next time, I'm Mike Wilkerson, one of your hosts. And I'm Kip Lewis, your other host. Thanks for listening to the Perspective Review of Thor here at the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network. See you next time. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Two Guys Talking Show. We hope you'll tell your friends and coworkers about us, and don't forget to put us on your podcast list. As always, you can visit and contact us online at twoguystalking.com. That's the number two, guystalking.com. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.